This message by Bill Kittrell was recorded during a Sunday celebration service for Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Bill serves as a senior pastor on staff at Cornerstone Church. 1 Peter 5. We are coming to the end of our study of this letter, and I'm tempted to say, where will we go? What will we do? Because we've benefited so much from 1 Peter. So, this morning, our text is verses 10 and 11, 1 Peter 5. I'm going to begin reading last week's text just to put it into context. So, begin reading with me in verse 8. We'll read down through verse 11. This is God's Word, God's inerrant Word. It's inspired. It, it has authority in our lives. So we focus our attention as a congregation this morning on God's holy word. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Now here's our text today, verse 10. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you, to His eternal glory in Christ will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To Him be the dominion Forever and ever, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. Your God is the God of all grace. Your God is the God of all grace. I am going to tag team with Jake this morning and begin with application for mothers. We don't think motherhood is celebrated much these days. It is Mother's Day, so it seems appropriate. I think these verses are very applicable to moms, so it seems an appropriate way to honor them for the way they serve so faithfully. So without apology, I'm going to begin just with some application from this text for moms. The the Apostle Paul taught that one of the primary roles of women is that of child-bearing. Child-bearing. He was referring not only to the act of giving birth, but a domestic role related to the upbringing of children in the home and of managing the home. That's what he taught. He taught women to do this role with faith, with love, 
in holiness, with self-control. It's like Peter's been saying throughout this letter. He encouraged self-control. So, from a biblical perspective, motherhood is not belittled. It's not laughed at. Scripture has a very different, a strikingly different view of motherhood than our culture. It is held up in the Bible as a high calling. It's held up as a privilege. In fact, in Paul's first letter to Timothy, where he's giving detailed instructions to Timothy about how to lead the church and how to build the church, he makes this implication that it's the devil, it's our adversary who will be the one who tempts women to neglect this crucial role, just like he tempted Eve in the Garden of Eden. Whenever women are encouraged to forsake or minimize this calling or not love this calling or respect this calling, we can be assured it's unbiblical. We can be assured that our adversaries at work. And if a woman gives herself to childbearing, she can trust the Lord that it'll be a deeply fulfilling role. Kevin DeYoung has a new book out, Men and Women in the Church. I recommend it. And he says this, to be sure a woman's worth is not tied to the children she has or her, her ability to have any children at all. We see all sorts of ways women in the Old Testament serve God and save God's people from harm. And yet, there is a unique God-given purpose that women find in bearing and caring for children. Consider the opening chapters of Exodus. We think of Exodus as all about Moses, but before Moses bursts on the scene in Exodus, and in fact, in order for him to burst on the scene, we're introduced to several women. The opening pages of Exodus, this great narrative of God's paradigmatic, redemptive work, the entire story has been moved forward by women, and specifically by women looking after children. God used them all in mighty ways, in ways they couldn't fully understand at the time, all by simply loving children and protecting their little lives. I'm not suggesting that working with children is all that women can or should do in the life or in the church, in, in life or in the church, but we should recognize the Old Testament pattern and celebrate a caring for children will be one of the main things and one of the most amazing things many women will do with their lives. So I, I just want to say to all the mothers, what you do is an amazing thing. Just prior to my conversion, 17 years old, I found myself in the police station in my hometown for shoplifting beer at a local grocery store. The devil made me do it. <laughs> the officer who was there told me he was going to call my parents. And I asked him 
one favor, please talk to my dad and not my mom. <laughs> because I didn't want to upset my mom. And my dad and I had kind of come to some arrangements in these kinds of situations at that time. <laughs> but when he called, I heard him say, Mrs. Kittrell, we have your son here at the police station for shoplifting beer. I haven't changed much since then, and I came out of my seat. I was angry. But it didn't last long. He had me sit back down. <laughs> I remember later when I got home, being in my room, lying on my bed, and my mom opened the door and came in. She didn't say anything. She just sat down on my bed. She put her head on my chest, and she wept. Nothing could have been worse. <laughs> Nothing could have been more effective. It was torture. It's quite an honor to have a woman like Betty Kittrell be your mother. And it's quite painful to disappoint her. For those women here this morning watching via the live stream who have embraced motherhood, Embraced it as a role because you, you believe this is a unique call that God has given you. These verses are for you. They apply to you. If you feel the challenges of this role and if you feel a lack of support and encouragement, this message has special application for you. Peter has a word for you. It's for everyone in this room. But there is an application that I think applies to you. It's to encourage you. This, this view of womanhood that Jake and I have been talking about is not in sync with our culture, is it? A biblical view of womanhood, and for that matter, manhood, is, is on the front line of the church's conflict with our society. It's a biblical perspective. And it's why 1 Peter has seemed so relevant to 21st century Christians as we're reading through it. Our, our text today is no exception. Remember, he started out this epistle calling the people he was writing, his readers, elect exiles, sojourners, strangers, aliens. We've learned about God's wisdom. And... We've learned about his power. We've learned about how to live in a manner worthy of the gospel in the midst of a culture that isn't supporting us. And he closes this letter today with encouragement. Powerful, powerful encouragement. And I trust it will benefit everyone and especially every mother listening today. So this is my last me message in this series, in 1 Peter. Stephen... We'll be preaching next week on the actual last verses of, of the epistle, the letter. We wanted him to get to explain who the woman is at Babylon. That's, that'll be fun for him. So I'm going to treat this because it's my last message in the series as, as kind of a little bit of a, a summary. 
big picture, high flying, but try to look at our text at the same time to put it together as, as we conclude looking at 1 Peter. This text and this letter tells us that, number one, as we see clearly in the text, that God, the God of all grace has called you. The God of all grace has called you if you're a believer. Verse 10, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. The God of all grace who has called you. He is the God of all grace. He is responsible for you being born again. This is the only place in all of Scripture where God is called the God of all grace. Peter is writing to sufferers, those who are being opposed. They're being persecuted because they believe in Jesus, they trust in Him. It's transformed their lives and they're living differently than the people around them. And as a result, it's making their life difficult. And he says, your God is the God of all grace. And then he gives just incredible assurances that are grounded in the character of God that he will help them. The God of all grace is the true God and he is the God you know. He is the God you serve, the God you love. Remember, he talked about in chapter 4 about being a good steward of all this grace that God gives. All the varied grace, the different ways that grace comes. Be a good steward of it. Peter knows God is full of grace. He knows it it comes to us in many different ways. This, This grace. Now he says he's the God of all grace. It's a title for him. We could say, oh, Heavenly Father, you are the God of all grace. And it's, it's in the context here of him giving us some significant promises we need. That's what the Christian life is all about. It is standing on the promises of God. And he's going to give us these promises, but it's like he wants to begin with us understanding That he is the God of all grace, so it'll make it easier for us to believe that God really will do these things he promises in this text. Remember, says Peter, your God is the God of all grace. You don't start with being qualified. You start with the God of all grace. Grace comes before you're qualified. These promises are given to you free of being qualified. He wants you to believe. He walked with Jesus, and Jesus, John said, was full of grace. He was just full of grace. Before the foundation of the world, God planned to have a people who would live for the praise of the glory of His Grace, before the foundation of the world, that's us. We are are people who live 
for the praise of the glory of His grace were trophies of grace. We can trust His promises because they're not for the qualified. <laughs> it's, it's the highest revelation of the glory of God, the grace of God. John Piper says this, the constellation of excellencies, just all the great things about God that make up the glory of God. Think about all the great things we sing about and talk about. They reach their most beautiful overflow in the expression of grace for undeserving sinners like us. That's the apex of the glory of God. And what has now become clear in the enactment of the new covenant in His blood, in Christ's death on the cross, is that the humble, willing, obedient suffering of Christ for sinners is the apex of God's grace. The pinnacle, the summit, the place where that grace is most beautifully on display. That's why we sing so much about the cross. It's where you see grace. It's where you see the perfect expression of God's glory. The cross is the perfect expression of grace. The expression of grace for undeserving sinners like us, the apex of God's grace, where grace is most beautifully on display, is the cross of Jesus Christ. And it's why Paul says things like, God forbid that I should boast of anything but the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. John Stott wrote, the best book I've ever read on the cross. He says this, it would be most unseemly to feign a cool detachment as we contemplate Christ's cross. For willy-nilly, that means whether we like it or not, we are involved. Our sins put Him there. So far from offering us flattery, the cross undermines our self-righteousness. We can stand before it only with a bowed head in a broken spirit, and there we will remain until the Lord Jesus speaks to our hearts His word of pardon and acceptance, and we gripped by His love and a brimful of thanksgiving go out into the world to live our lives in His service. What a beautiful description of our calling. The God of all grace has called you to His eternal glory in Christ. Christ's suffering on the cross is what brings us to in enjoy God and know God and treasure God for all eternity. It's the great treasure of the kingdom, this fellowship. God's plan from the beginning was for Christ to suffer for undeserving sinners to, to display the glory of God, the glory of God's grace, which is the apex of His glory. It wasn't plan B. The, the cross wasn't an afterthought. Whoops. It was from before the creation. 2 Timothy 1, Paul says, We should share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of His own purpose and grace, which He gave us in Christ Jesus 
before the ages began. It's mind-boggling. Grace is his response to us. We are undeserving. It's the goal of creation and the, the ongoing purpose of his providence to accomplish this great purpose of praising the glory of his grace. Grace comes to us through Christ. He exalts his glory through the exercise of his grace. His aim is the greatness of his name will be seen in the praises of his people and the thanksgiving of his people. Jerry Bridges says this, the most conscientious, dutiful, hardworking Christian needs God's grace as much as the most dissolute, hard-living sinner. All of us need the same grace. The sinner doesn't need more grace than the saint, nor does the immature and undisciplined believer need more than the godly, zealous missionary. We all need the same amount of grace because the currency of our good works is debased and worthless before God. Grace doesn't take into account merits or demerits at all. Rather, grace considers all men and women as totally undeserving and unable to do anything to earn the blessing of God. If God was compelled to give us grace based on our performance, it would no longer be grace. If he was compelled to remove grace from us because of our performance, it would cease to be grace. This is not how the world we live in functions. If you haven't noticed, we live in a culture that doesn't recognize this, but they're very self-righteous. There's a lack of grace. I mean, you better not make a mistake. Have you ever made a mistake when you're driving? Maybe you're sitting at the traffic light, and it's just a beautiful day. And you kind of glance at the cloud and look around just for a second, and the light turns green, and you missed it. It's a near-death experience. <laughs> People don't roll down their window and say, oh, that's okay, take your time. Maybe you switch lanes on the interstate, and you don't, you don't see the car in your blind spot. I'm probably revealing I'm not a very good driver here. <laughs> yeah, I make a lot of people mad on the roads out there. And yes, you almost caused a multi-car pileup, but you know, the person doesn't just laugh and say, that's okay. No problem. Everybody makes mistakes. I want to roll my window down at times like those and say, hey, man, you ever made a mistake? I'm sorry I was wrong. Please forgive me. It's just road rage. Your performance matters in this culture. Don't let them fool you. But we, we come to Scripture 
And we encounter the God of all grace. He is kind. He is patient. He is so unlike me. My performance daily falls short. And and grace is God still continuing to treat us with the favor of his blessings. Even when we fall short, without any reference to what we deserve, it's all based on his goodness and his sovereign purpose. It's for the praise of the glory of his grace. That's how we relate to him. Listen to Paul in Philippians 3. Remember now, he was a legalistic Pharisee before God called him. But he was transformed by the grace of God. Now listen what he says. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss so I could have Christ for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything lost, all my religious performance, which is really as a Pharisee, all that mattered to him. Everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, the great treasure of the kingdom, fellowship with God in Christ, knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things. Count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. How do you do that? Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, not a righteousness based on my performance, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, the New American Standard, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith, faith, I trust in Christ, not my performance. Paul believed at one point that performance was everything, but he was transformed by the grace of God. He was a trophy of grace. His performance was perfect. He didn't know God. Grace transformed him. He received a righteousness from God grounded on faith. We are justified by faith in God's sight. It means more than just being declared not guilty. It actually means to be declared righteous before God by faith. God charged the guilt of our sins to Christ. And he counts or credits Christ's righteousness as ours. That's the gospel. That's the good news. Peter has repeatedly told us about this. 1 Peter 2, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Jesus, by his death on the cross, turned aside the wrath of God that we deserve. He took it on himself. He bore our sins in his body on the cross. He endured the full force of God's wrath that our sins deserved in our place. And by faith now, we relate to God in a way we don't deserve. We have fellowship with a holy God because he relates to us on the basis of faith. We've trusted in Christ. And his righteous, perfect life is counted as ours. 
And God relates to us like that. So if you made your mother weep, the wrath you deserve has been poured out on him. Our calling, the God of all grace, verse 10, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ. He has called you. A calling just reminds us it's all of him. He called. He caused us to be born again. Peter has said this repeatedly. He loves the truth that God called you. It's precious to Peter. It reminds him of amazing grace. It's that moment when we were converted. It was his calling. He did this. And in light of this, God calling us to His glory. Peter is saying, he's going to go through these promises. God's going to finish what He has begun. That's the point. And so he wants you to understand, he's just reminding you, He's the God of all grace. He called you. He caused you to be born again. It's His sovereign purpose before the foundation of the world that you would be his. Our nation is divided over so many things. It's really hard to find anything that unites people other than hatred of other people. But this is the division in Scripture. This is the dividing point. Right here. Believers unbelievers God's people living for his glory hoping in future glory and and those who live for this life only they don't acknowledge God's dominion they don't acknowledge God they don't submit to God that's the division and Peter is writing to people who have chosen, who have believed, who have been called by God, and they are submitting to Christ, and they love the Lord, and they're living out their faith in the midst of a culture that doesn't believe, and they're being persecuted and oppressed. They're suffering for their faith. And Peter is saying, he's the God of all grace. He rules and he promises. He will provide everything you need. So this morning, we should leave full of hope, full of joy, full of peace. He has called you to his eternal glory. It's a summary of all that God has in store for his people. He knows their suffering, and he knows this eternal glory brings a new perspective. So if you're fearful, if you're suffering, if you're being persecuted, he says, after you have suffered a little while, because compared to eternity, it's very short. It won't last for eternity. God is in control. He's going to complete his 
work and his character, who he is, is evident in his work. He is the God of all grace. He's at work in your life. And what's going to happen in your life is there's going to be evidence of grace. You're going to see the work of the Spirit in your life. We've been called to His eternal glory. It means we have a new goal in life. Our goal is His glory. And there's not a disconnect between living for His glory and our joy. They're the same. The apex of His glory is His grace. The second thing that this letter has taught us and this text reemphasizes is the God of all grace will personally work for you. All along in this letter, Peter has been saying, God is for you. God is with you. God will answer your prayers. God will sustain you. And he, again, he's doing it powerfully. After you have suffered a little while, verse 10, the God of all grace, who's called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. One commentator says this is another instance of St. Peter's habit of condensing a whole series of lofty thoughts in a few pregnant words. So each of these words are pregnant. The one who called you to his glory is going to get you to his glory Here's the promises and how he's going to do it. You can bank on them. He is the God of all grace. He will himself, he will restore you. He will confirm you. He will strengthen you. He will establish you. You can memorize these and just throughout your day this week, just say, Lord, you're going to restore me. Lord, you're going to confirm me. You're going to strengthen me. You will establish me. He has granted you everything you need for this week. Right here in this text. These are all verbs. They are future tense. They are indicative. They are statements of fact. He's not commanding something. He's telling you something that's yours. Edmund Hybert says, they, they express the unquestioned assurance surging through Peter's heart. Peter's shouting at you right now. <laughs> he, is, he is shouting at you. Your God is the God of all grace and he is going to restore you. He's going to confirm you. He's going to strengthen you. He's going to establish you. And he's just packing everything into these four words. And I don't think I can do it justice. But let's look at first restore. It's the first of these four promises. He will restore us. It's like he's going to make you whole. He's going to fit things together, arrange them the way they should be. So when you've gone through persecution, when you suffered and you're weakened, the God of all grace promises you in this verse, I'm going to restore you. 
It's a promise that God will make you strong again. He will make you whole by his own spirit present with you. He will fill you with the spirit and he will restore you. Whatever's been damaged, he's going to set it right. Whatever's gone wrong, he's going to fix. He's going to restore you where you feel weak and defective. This word was used in the Gospels. If you remember, fishing nets would get destroyed. It's used in the Gospel of mending broken nets. Same word, restore. Last year I was in Montana with one of my sons. And I caught so many big trout, I broke my net. You have a net, you net your trout with. I caught so many big trout, I broke my net. Can I say that again? <laughs> I, I'm not exaggerating. I literally caught so many big trout, I broke my net. It's just not a big enough net. For Montana. And it wouldn't work anymore. So I went to the fly shop. And I was thinking about replacing the net. But they were very expensive. And it looked like it could be fixed. There were just these strings that had come disattached. And actually I was thinking of those little tie down things. Maybe I could rig it up with that. They didn't have any of them. I'm in this world class fly shop with all these big-time fishing guides, they know more about fishing than I'll ever know. They know everything. I'm like, what can we do this and that? Ah, you know, I don't, I don't know how we fix it. And then this little teenage boy comes up, quiet, and he says, I, I can fix it. My dad taught me how to fix it. And he started working on it, and it was taking a little while, so I left. I came back about an hour later, and it was fixed. I said, how much do I owe you? He's like, oh, you don't owe me anything. I came back the next day and spent hundreds of dollars at that fly shop and told the owner, it's because of that kid. He wasn't there, but I said, you find that kid. That's why I'm here, and that's why I'm spending too much money. He mended my net and it worked I caught more big fish and it it worked it was broken it needed restored do you ever feel that way you have a purpose you have a calling but you feel weak you feel like you can't fulfill your purpose the Lord understands he's the God of all grace he knows that as we try to live in a manner worthy of the gospel we've received in this culture all the responsibilities that we have he knows it's going to break us and so he just promises you you can expect this and I will restore you secondly confirm this word means to fix, to make firm or solid. It's translated in some of the versions, make you strong. It's, it's a reference to 
propping you up to reinforcing, to stabilizing something so that it'll, it won't fall, it won't wobble. It'll be able to stand. And this is a promise God makes to us that in the midst of everything and all the persecution, all the suffering, He is going to make sure that we're propped up so we aren't moved. We're going we're to keep the faith. We're going to make it to glory. We won't be moved because He's going to provide us the grace we need. You remember when Peter was talking about he would never turn away from the Lord. Remember Jesus said to him in Luke 22, Simon, Simon, Peter, the author of this letter, behold, Satan, your adversary, the devil, has demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. And if you remember, Peter denied the Lord three times after saying he'd never deny him. And Jesus said, no, Satan's demanded to have you. But, verse 32, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. His, his faith did not fail. He turned again, and even today, he strengthens us. A third word, strengthen. It just means to impart strength, to make strong. This word doesn't mean the same thing as the word confirm. It's, it's different. It's a promise for God's help so you will be strong. You will stand firm. firm. You can face this roaring lion that's out there that's terrifying. But you can face it. It's about God's strength being given to you so you can succeed in the fight of faith. Do you ever feel like you can't do it? Well, in your own strength, you can't. This is God's promise. The God of all grace says, I will strengthen you. And finally, establish. It's a word that just means a foundation. I started you on a foundation. You will end on this foundation. I have given you a place to stand on Christ, the solid rock. You're established. Finally, lastly, the God of all grace is worthy of our praise. He's worthy of your praise. Peter ends verse 11, to him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. That is not the way to read it. So he has just walked through all these words. The God of all grace, he's going to do these things for you. And it just, it's, he's just like, you will see this in other writers in the New Testament. They just get caught up in it. And he just breaks out into praise. He did this once before in chapter 4. And here he is, and he's just, to him be dominion forever and ever. And then he invites us to just join him. Amen. So when we talk about this God of all grace and how all these promises, and we have this adversary, and it's just such a difficult challenge that faces us, but then the God of all grace comes and says, no, you are going to finish. You are going to succeed because I am the God of all grace, and I will be present with you, and I will restore you, confirm you, strengthen you, establish you. And what we do is believe 
That's what we do. God loves to be trusted. And so we believe, Lord, we believe that this week. We're going into this week trusting in your promises. And there's a joy that comes in this faith in God. And when it comes, we just, to him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. I'm sorry, I get a little excited about this stuff. But so does Peter. And so should you. Father, we humble ourselves today. It's the only appropriate response, Father. For undeserving people who have been so richly blessed. It's the only appropriate response. It's humbling, Lord. So we humble ourselves as we come to the end of this letter, Lord. And we think back of all the ways we've benefited and what a gift it is to 21st century believers to have 1 Peter. Thank you for your word, Lord. And thank you this morning. Thank you for the promises that you've given us. We trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a message given by Bill Kittrell during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.